Hello, and welcome to the Middle East Forum speaker webinar series and podcast. I'm Stacey Roman, and I will be moderating this discussion today. We're pleased to have David P. Goldman, economist, music critic, and demographer, join us to discuss Iran's birth dearth and its consequences. Mr. Goldman will speak for 15 minutes, then open it up for questions. Should you wish to ask a question, please use the Q&A box located at the bottom of your screen to type your question. And with that, I will turn the discussion over to Mr. David P. Goldman. Uh, thank you very much. I, I should say I have a long and warm association with Middle East Forum, of which I was a, a fellow some years ago, and it's a privilege and honor to uh, address you all today. Uh, a question which I think nags at all of us is why are the Iranians so crazy? Uh, what makes them so bloodthirsty and so determined to engage in a strategic confrontation, which ultimately could uh, destroy them and, of course, wreak havoc on their neighbors, uh, particularly uh, the state of Israel. Uh, you can attribute that to religious ideology and fanaticism, but there is also a real dimension uh, to Iran's uh, turbulence and uh, instability, and that is the disappearing young people of Iran and the potentially catastrophic consequences uh, that ensue from that. I've written a good deal about that over the years and I've refreshed uh, the analysis, which I'd like to show you uh, uh, in a few, uh, just four slides, if, if you'll bear with me. Um, pictures uh, being worth a thousand words. So, okay, you should now see a title page that says Iran's birth dearth and its consequences. Um, now, there are lies, damned lies, statistics, Iranian lies, and outright fantasy in declining order. Uh, Iran oscillates between panicking about its demographic decline and lying about it. So if you read the official UN statistics, it says that um, Iran's fertility rate is 2.1 children per female. That's roughly the replacement rate. Uh, Italy is about 1.2, 1.3, Taiwan is about 1.0, and the state of Israel is 3.1. Uh, but that's not the case. So the Tehran Times uh, last October reported that the fertility rate was only 1.6 children per woman. Uh, that's roughly the same as Western Europe. Uh, it had been seven at the time of the Iranian revolution. And the important thing for the standpoint of the Iranian economy and the sustainability of Iranian society is the rate of change, not just the absolute level, because if you have you know, one person supported by seven children, that's a viable arrangement, even in a poor country where people don't have a great deal of spare income. But if you have uh, uh, one, if you have two parents supported by one child in a poor country, that's an impossible situation. It means that uh, the social structure will break down and old people uh, will starve. So this is simply a quote from the Tehran Times saying that uh, the actual fertility rate is about 1.6 with many of the 
provinces um, uh, considerably lower. Um, it's noteworthy that the core Persian provinces have a much lower fertility rate than uh, the Arab or um, uh, Baloki or other uh, non-Persian provinces, the ethnic minorities, including Kurds, uh, have a much higher um, uh, fertility rate. So the Persian fertility problem is even more pronounced. So what does this mean? Well, if you believe the Iranian official data, which of course I don't, this is what Iran's uh, dependency ratio is going to look like going into the middle of the century. Right now, you've got about uh, a 33% elderly dependency ratio. It means for every three working age people, there's one old person who needs to be supported. That's barely sustainable when people really don't have quite enough to eat and it will get up to 60%. Compare that to Italy, which is going to be in the 70% range. That's the gray line. However, uh, the actual number is probably closer to the orange low variant based on the 1.6% fertility rate, which means we're going to get up into, we're going to converge with Italy getting on into the century. Uh, Iran will be worse off than Germany, um, about the same as Italy. And in a rich industrial country with a lot of foreign assets, uh, you can have an elderly population which lives off savings and it affects, uh, lives off the labor of foreigners in whose labor it invests uh, and clips coupons uh, to pay for retirement funds. Um, but in a poor country, uh, that's impossible. So Iran faces a demographic catastrophe. What is the origin of this? Well, here I have a, a scatter uh, a scatter graph, excuse me, uh, of literacy rates versus um, uh, fertility rates in Muslim countries. Um, there's a remarkably close correlation. Remember that in the traditional world, um, the world of farming communities and stable traditional societies, fertility rates are always very high because in an agricultural society, children are inexpensive labor and it's simply expected that families will have a large number of children. Countries that go through what's called the great demographic transition to modernity tend to have lower fertility rates. And the question of course is, where that transition leads to. In the case of in Italy with 1.2, 1.3 children per female, it's a disaster in the case of Israel with three children. Uh, it's a, a robust and healthy situation. And what we find throughout the Muslim world is that as literacy increases, the transition happens very suddenly. This is what happened in Iran. There was the Shah undertook a great literacy program during the 1970s. And the impact of it was to reduce the fertility rate from seven to about one and a half now. So the problem most Muslim countries have 
is making the tradition from modernity of going from a rapidly expanding population to a rapidly aging population without developing the resources to sustain uh, the aging population. Now, from the standpoint of the region, Iran is in a particularly unenviable situation. This little green line here is Iran's population. But we can see that on the uh, given constant fertility, this is based on UN projections, the populations of Afghanistan and Pakistan combined are going to be close to 800,000 people in the 15 to 49 uh, age bracket. That's the age at which people fight. And that uh, Iran is going to be really a blip in terms of demographics. Now, from Iran's standpoint, that means that the Sunni world surrounding it is going to have a population explosion while its young population begins to taper off uh, and shrink. So its relative power in the region is going to, um, is going to attenuate. So there we are, that's the, that's the data I wanted to show you and that took, uh, took eight minutes. Um, what are the strategic implications? From the standpoint of the Iranian leadership, if you know that uh, Pakistan will have 10 times the number of young people that you have by the end of the century, uh, Afghanistan will have three or four times, and the Sunni world will overwhelm you. There will be another 100 million young people in the uh, so-called stands of the former Soviet Union. Iranian power is going to dwindle very quickly, even though Iran has a higher level of education and considerably more scientific and military capabilities than most of the Sunni countries. It will be overwhelmed at its dream of a Shiite empire, of Shiite ascendancy, will go up in smoke later in the century, no matter what it does. So Iran has a use it or lose it problem. Uh, given its population. Uh, its economy, which is barely surviving at the moment, uh, will, will suffer catastrophic strains. It won't be able to maintain its military budget. It will not be able to finance the foreign adventures, the occupation of Syria, the Shiitization of uh, Syria that it had, that it set so much uh, resources into. Uh, and eventually it will implode as a major economy. That puts enormous pressure on Iran to act as quickly as it can and advance its idea of a Shia crescent that goes from the Indian Ocean to the Mediterranean and act quickly and aggressively. And it also creates, I think, an apocalyptic sense among the Shia leadership, which is a let's say a real apocalyptic fear, not simply the apocalyptic belief, which we associate uh, with Sunni Islam, uh, and a sense that uh, the end is coming unless drastic action is taken now. So the conclusion that I draw from this is that Iran in the next 10 to 15 years 
is the most dangerous entity in the world, the least stable and the most likely, most prone to military adventurism. Uh, I think there's a loose analogy today between Iran and uh, Nazi Germany between 1933 and 1945. I, I hate to reduce everything to Hitler and to compare everything that I really don't like to Hitler, but in this case, I think there's a similarity in ideology. Remember that the Nazis were convinced, Hitler was certainly convinced that the Aryan race was on the verge of extinction through uh, uh, lower birth rates, through uh, the pollution of Aryan blood by, uh, by alien races, by syphilis, and so forth. And he had a sense that unless Germany accomplished its racial cleansing and seized the Lebensraum it needed on its periphery, uh, that the German people would die and Germany would collapse. At the end, uh, Hitler was ready to destroy Germany in a great Wagnerian act of self-destruction because he really believed it was the end of his country. And that kind of uh, apocalyptic desperation leads to warlike actions and uh, can only really be countered by a very strong show of force. So I believe that the idea that the Iranians can be talked off the ledge that by being nice to them, removing sanctions and otherwise offering to include them in the regional security architecture is a fool's errand. I believe that it's delusional to think that Iran can be coddled into becoming a responsible member of the international community and that any agreement with Iran which does not forcefully and aggressively limit its capacity to inflict damage on its neighbors uh, will only be a stepping stone to more instability, more violence, and more wars. So I hate to be so pessimistic about it, but uh, I believe that the Biden administration's approach of trying to revive the JCPOA and build down sanctions and give money back to Iran is going to backfire on the United States in a particularly nasty way. And of course, it coincides, as we know, with uh, the worst strategic crisis we probably ever had uh, with Russia, Cold War or no Cold War, in which Russian military cooperation with Iran can substantially improve Iran's uh, access to uh, high-tech weaponry, particularly air defenses. So that's another concern. It's something to be seriously worried about. With that, um, my 15 minutes are up. And I promised I would stop here and take questions. So with that, um, why don't we proceed to questions? Shall we uh, go, shall we use the Q&A function? Uh, oh, yeah, would you I'll like come to in ask the questions or shall I go directly to the q and I'll ask them. Uh, so the first one we have is from Carrie Hillebrand. Uh, does the, how does the fertility rate break down among the sectors of population, urban and rural, education, educated, uneducated, affluent and poverty? impoverished, et cetera? That's a terrific question. It happens that Iran has some very qualified demographers who've done very thorough studies. So of all the Muslim countries which have gone through a demographic transition, we, Iran is the only one where we have really 
detailed reticulated data. Now, I showed a chart which show, uh, indicating that the higher the education level in terms of female literacy by country, the lower the birth rate. That's true on a cross section across the Muslim world, but in Iran, the number of years of education that a woman has is a very strong predictor of how many children she will have. So the more educated Iranian women have considerably fewer children, the least educated have more children. And that also breaks down by province where provinces with lower uh, educational levels uh, tend to have much, um, much higher fertility rates. And as I mentioned, those provinces tend to be uh, non-ethnic Persians, uh, Balochis, Kurds, Arabs, uh, and so forth, which portends uh, an aggravated minority problem in Iran. Thank you. Thank you. David Levine asks, or states, the speaker last week described the rising fertility rate in Israel as a function of optimism. Does the opposite hold true for Iran? Uh, young people recognize the dreadful future they're facing. Uh, I'm sure that's the case. Uh, I think it's interesting that the in the industrial world, uh, in countries that have already gone through a demographic transition, the single best predictor of fertility behavior is religious commitment. Uh, more religious people, evangelical Protestants, Orthodox Jews, uh, and so forth. Uh, 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 um, uh, observant Catholics uh, definitely have more children than secular people. And I think that's in the industrial world, a reflection of optimism. People who have a sense of the continuity of their culture like the idea of children who embody that culture uh, succeeded. Uh, we don't reproduce like cats. Cats don't ask whether the cats are gonna have cat culture. They simply reproduce. Uh, if we were told that our children would be adopted by an alien species, speak a different language, have no possibility of communicating with us nor any memory of us, I think we'd have a lot less motivation to have children. And cultures that see themselves in crisis uh, typically show high very low levels of fertility. So we can correlate uh, any number of measures of uh, pathology in, uh, in Iran, including drug addiction, sexual behavior, and so forth, with low fertility rates. One of the most interesting things is that Iran has the highest level of infertility of any country in the world. The Iranian authorities have tried to explain it, and one of the reasons appears to be that Iran has one of the highest levels of venereal disease of any country in the world, contrary to the veneer of a religious and puritanical country, the institution of uh, temporary marriage appears to be a propagator of venereal disease and a major cause of uh, infertility. There were a lot of studies of that that came out six or seven years ago. That's kind of dropped out, I think, as the Iranian government has discouraged um, investigation of it. Speaking of the Iranian authority, Daniel Pollack asks, is there any state response to fertility uh, that has 
raised its among. Is there any state response to the fertility rate raising among illiterate women? There has been an enormous amount of noise from the Iranian government. Uh, um, Ahmadinejad used to complain about Iranian women uh, killing the Iranian nation by refusing to have enough children. There's been a lot of um, invective about a lot of exhortation of Iranian women to have more children. But given the miserable state of the economy, the fact that a large part of the population doesn't really have enough to eat and is struggling to make ends meet, uh, the Iranian government has not been in the position to provide the kind of economic incentives which might to some extent mitigate um, the fertility trend, which has been so, uh, so, so pronounced otherwise. Uh, I should say that economic incentives to have children do have an impact on fertility trends, but not really a decisive impact. Uh, Hungary is a good example. It's the Magyar fertility rate was down to about one per female 10 years ago. And now it's back up to about 1.5 with strong efforts by the Orban government to encourage uh, childbearing. Uh, but 1.5 is still, you know, it's an improvement from the bottom that Hungary uh, encountered, but it's still pretty inadequate. So even in the best of cases, in countries that can't afford um, uh, financial incentives for family formation, that has a limited effect. And Iran really hasn't been able to do anything but uh, complain about it. Thank you. And you started this talk off uh, discussing or asking why is, what is Iran, Iran's motives uh, to, to want to destroy Israel. Uh, Tafi Gould asks, are the children of the more educated any less likely to indulge in violence? Well, yes, because the smartest of them are likely to leave the country and go work somewhere else. I mean, Iran is a, a remarkable country in many ways. Two of the world's best electrical engineering universities are located in Iran. Uh, most Iranian colleges are miserable diploma mills. However, uh, the best Iranian technical universities produce really first-rate graduates. The last time I saw data, which is a few years ago, um, something like 80 or 90 percent of the, of the graduates of the top schools left the country. So I think uh, there certainly is an answer uh, in the affirmative. Uh, but since Iran doesn't allow any kind of serious polling data, it's very difficult to answer that question in the aggregate. Thank you. Jerry Stern asks, in addition to a low birth rate, net immigration from Iran is also a trend that reduces Iran's population, as we were just talking about. Uh, how serious is Iran's net immigration rate, and how is the Iranian regime addressing it? Well, it's extremely serious in terms of the brain drain. They've been unable to keep uh, their best people. And you see Iranian electrical engineers at every major university uh, in the West. Um, a very well-known professor of engineering at Texas A&M University told me that his Iranian students were generally among the best because they grew up without computers. So they had to learn to do problems with paper and pencil as opposed to kludget with a uh, with a computer program. So 
had a very high opinion of the quality of Iranian students coming out. Um, I do not have data, because the Iranians don't really give it to you, about the number of, say, unskilled Iranians who are leaving the country. Uh, there's a question as to where they would go. Um, uh, there's a limit to how much um, Western Europe can absorb, and there certainly aren't a lot of Iranians being allowed into the United States now. So I don't see it as a mass phenomenon contributing to the problem, uh, much more uh, uh, a brain drain among their best educated. Understood. Thank you. Richard Matula asks, as you point out, the demographic projections for Iran lead to a lower population, including less young men to fight. If I'm not mistaken, the same demographic projections apply to Russia and China. Would that also imply the same now or never mentality to those two countries that applies to Iran? In the case of Russia, that might be the case. You know, one wonders why Putin took the enormous risk of invading Ukraine. Uh, which certainly that surprised me and surprised most people because uh, you know, he, that may go very badly for him. We don't know yet, and I'm not going to make a prediction about the outcome of the war, but uh, Putin took certainly the greatest risk of his life. Uh, and Russia's uh, declining demographics uh, may have uh, played directly and indirectly a role in this. In the case of the Chinese, um, I think it's a very different kind of situation because there's really only one uh, possible military action by China that really concerns us, and that's the seizure of Taiwan. Taiwan has a much lower birth rate than the mainland. A couple of years ago, they were at the absolute bottom of the list in terms of fertility in the CIA World Handbook with one child per female. Um, from China's standpoint, demographics are a plus in the case of the Taiwan situation because Taiwan's gonna have so few young people in 20 years that for the economy to survive will require massive immigration from the mainland, which will tend to foster uh, the reunion with the mainland that the uh, Communist Party would like to see. Uh, the Chinese approach to demographics is much more uh, oriented towards uh, the economic domination of its neighbors. Uh, this, for example, the 600 million people in Southeast Asia. Uh, China's workforce is now stagnant and shortly will decline, but it's turned Vietnam into an economic colony, exporting a lot of its labor-intensive industry to Vietnam. It will do the same to Laos, where it just built high-speed trains, Cambodia, and uh, probably the Philippines, where the new uh, uh, Marcos Jr. government is quite friendly to China and will solicit Chinese um, investment. The Philippines is one of the few countries in the world which has a rapidly growing population. So there's a demographic match with China. Thank you. And Marty Flashner asks, is the Shia population in Lebanon also experiencing a low birth rate? Not to my knowledge, but I think there's been so much immigration and so much disruption because of continuous civil war and economic collapse that um, they've got a problem. Now, because of the Lebanese constitution, demographic data are top secret 
political dynamite. If the, since the Constitution reserves parts of the government, parts of the parliament for different ethnic and religious minorities, it's confessionally distributed uh, going back to what, uh, the Constitution, what, of the 1920s. The issue of how many people there are of each confession uh, is a huge political issue. So there hasn't been a census in a very long time. Uh, but it certainly seems to be the case that the Shia have a higher birth rate than either the Christians uh, or the Sunni. And if there's not a Shia majority, there's certainly a Shia plurality of a kind there wasn't in the past. The last few years, extremely hard to tell because of the terrible disruptions. Thank you. Uh, Judy Hershon asked, what about the birth rates among the families of the IRGC? Uh, that I don't have any information on. All right. And can you just reiterate your point again at the end? Uh, what does this mean for the United States and the world? It means we've got a ticking time bomb in the case of Iran. We have a talented population with technological capabilities that far exceed uh, those of its neighbors with many highly skilled engineers and the ability to build uh, uh, indigenous weapons, uh, which are extremely dangerous. Uh, and that country has now been harnessed to an apocalyptic goal of establishing within the next decade, a Shia empire stretching from the Mediterranean to the Indian Ocean in order to establish Iran's leadership while it still has the demographic and economic wherewithal to make the attempt. It's a use it or lose it situation. So the only thing in my view that will discourage the Iranians is to make it clear to them that uh, the use of force will prevent them from doing so. Any attempts to uh, coddle them or, uh, or persuade them are going to uh, are going to be met with uh, with failure. So America, the president administration's policy is terribly misguided, in my view. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Wonderful, it's bad. Um, <laughs> but we've come to the close of our webinar. Uh, before we go, can you let our viewers know where we can find some more of your work? AsiaTimes.com. I'm deputy editor of Asia Times, and I tweet at David P. Goldman. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we really appreciate you taking time to update us today, Mr. Goldman. Uh, always an honor to talk to this group. Thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. For our viewers, please join us Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern for Israel Insider with Ashley Perry. Thank you all for joining us, and I hope you have a wonderful day.